close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Storr, and this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 103, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. And yes, I said we, because I am yet again joined by my good friend, the paranormal Johnny Carson, host of the Mysteries and Monsters podcast, Paul Bestel. Paul, how you doing today? I'm very well. How are you, sir? I am pretty good. I'm pretty good. I'm, ge- I'm getting more used to this. You know, mm. I, I've been doing this one way for four years. <laughs> and so now I'm, I'm learning a new way. It's a little bit like getting back in the, you're getting back in the dating pool <laughs> after a, a long period of monogamy. And, uh, I was never very good at that either mm. dating. So, you know, it's all very, very loosey goosey, but, uh, no, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty good. And I'm really excited to get to our stories today. We're going to be telling stories about haunted graveyards, which mm. is possibly the most classic ghost story location, except maybe haunted houses. Mm. And you found some really great stuff. Uh, in addition to our stories, you, you found some great supplementary material about uh, haunted graveyards around the world. But before we get to all of that, um, I just I wanted to tell you a little something, kind of bounce something off you, because after our last recording, I had a number of synchronicities kind of creep up in my life. And mm. one of them in, directly involved the show. And I'll, I'll, but I'll tell you about that one second. The first one was actually something that, that pinged with a dream I'd had. And the gist of it is that a couple of years ago, I had a dream that I was driving in Victoria and I, I come around a corner and all of a sudden I was on a road I did not recognize. It was a country road and the road went off into the horizon and then to the right. And there was some kind of tall plant in fields next to the road. And there was a farmhouse kind of in the distance. And in the dream, once I come around that corner, I felt presence, you know, like, uh, that feeling you get when you're in the presence of something paranormal, that sort of kind of heaviness in your chest and sometimes on your shoulders. Mm. Yeah. But it was more intense than I'd ever felt. And in the dream, I, it was so intense. I crashed the car Mm. and I remember getting out of the car and this feeling was just overwhelming. And in the distance, there was this thing like a horn. It was this, this terrible low bass note, like, 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 you know, like the, like the horns of Jericho kind of thing that, that you know, that brought down the walls in, yeah. in the Bible, like, like this, this all encompassing, horrible bone shaking noise. And every time it sounded that feeling of, 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 uh, paranormal intensity just got worse and worse. And, and eventually I, I woke up and, and was very grateful to do so. But as it turned out, a couple of years after that, I went to Louisiana, uh, it was for the, um the remote viewing conference in new Mm. Orleans. And I decided after the conference was over, I had a few days left and I decided to get out of the city because I mean, you know, new Orleans is a, it's a pretty intense place. It's a lovely place, but spiritually it's, it's pretty heavy. Mm. And, uh, so I, I rented a car and I started exploring the countryside and I ended up near a town called Thibodeau. I believe it was Thibodeau. And there is a road there. And I, I don't remember the name off the top of my head. But I read that it is a haunted road. Oh, sorry, near, I think it was near Homa, actually. It was near Homa. Hmm. But I read that there is like a haunted valley. There's a haunted road in this valley. And so I, I went to go check it out. I come around a corner, and I kid you not, Paul, 
it was the same road from my dream. Whoa. Never been there before, but it was exactly the same. The road went off to the right and then also continued over the horizon. So I turned right because that's where I I had been told to go. And sure enough, partway down that road, I felt this intense pressure in my chest. And and I thought, because I'm a hypochondriac, I thought, (laughs) okay, this is the big clutcher. It's, it's game over for, it's game over, game over for Bren. (laughs) But then I came around a corner and no, there are old slave cabins right next to the road. And I realized what I'm feeling has nothing to do with me. It is. I don't know if it was active or not, but it felt like the, just the accumulated suffering of people yeah. through the years. And I, I got some pictures and if I remember, I'll, I'll post some in the show notes for our listeners to see, but yeah, anyways, so th- that was my experience. I, I, I fe- definitely felt presence. Didn't actually hear that, that terrible horn, mm. but then I was, uh, reading a book recently, which I've been doing a lot more of this year and I'm just loving, uh, but the book I was reading was wounds by Nathan Ballingrud. Mm. And if you're a fan of horror fiction folks check it out. It is a pretty, pretty grisly book, but it is very, very good. Uh, one of the stories was, was actually adapted into a film recently called wounds, but I, I, I don't know if it's any good or not. Mm. Uh, but regardless, the book is about the intersection between earth and hell. It's, it's like six stories where hell and earth kind of collide in various ways. And the very first story is set in the bayou where there is a creature from hell, which is crossed over and living in the water. And it makes a sound which he described as almost exactly the same as what I experienced in that dream. This, this terrible, low earth shaking bass note Mm. that just comes from everywhere and feels awful inside you, but still Mm. like manages to just get to every part of you. And of course these are dreams and fiction, but I just wonder if these have any basis in reality. Are there any paranormal phenomenon you're aware of that, that have this kind of like that sort of sound? Yeah, it's a worldwide phenomenon. It's reported from every continent across the world. Really? Yeah. Um, and as but you, not, as a, you, not a dream thing, but like a thing people are actually experiencing. Oh, no, you can go on YouTube and people have recorded them. Oh, okay. Um, and they are just the strangest thing you will hear. You will basically see people stood outside their houses going, what the hell is this? And you can just hear this. Oh. Oh. Just this low bass crescendo just filling the sky. I've seen videos from Texas, from Canada, the UK, New Zealand, Germany, Africa, Asia. And it's, it's a very, very peculiar phenomenon. And why don't you, sorry, just to interrupt, why don't you mm-hmm. send me one of those? And then we'll maybe, I'll just give it a quick listen. And then we'll, well, maybe we can pop it into the show. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'll see which one I think's the best um, and which one probably has the least swearing in it because obviously the people <laughs> that are involved tend to be quite scared by what's, hit, what, what's going on. Did you guys hear that? That's weird. I never heard anything like that before. Where's it coming from? 
a that was a big one. Okay, so we're back. That is truly disturbing because it is very, very similar to what I experienced or to what I dreamed about. Mine was a little more bassy, but uh, still, that that I'll be frank with you. As someone who suffers from anxiety, if I heard that sound just in my day-to-day life, I would assume the world was ending. <laughs> yeah, me and you both. Like, I would fill my pants. I would shit your pants. <laughs> That's, that's, some, that's some real scare going on right there. <laughs> and, and skill, I'd like to say. You know, that's not an easy <laughs> thing to do. Some intense prestidigitation. But, but anyways, so <laughs> what, what is the, the, like the, the so say, uh, rational f- uh, explanation for this? Okay, so there are three trains of thought. Uh, one is it's just a plane out of sight and the sound has travelled a certain different distance due to atmospheric conditions and that's why the sound sounds so alien to us i was going to say because unless that plane is piloted by a tyrannosaurus fucking rex that doesn't make any sense (laughs) well yeah um it gets better though Um, another one is is a plane that has broken the sonic sound barrier you know created a sonic boom um a long distance away and once again it's being carried over distance and that's why it doesn't sound the same and the the strangest one that i've heard is that it's actually the resonance of sand being moved in a storm under the sea. My brain hurts, Paul. I don't understand. <laughs> like I understand. I know under the sea. I've I've seen the Little Mermaid. I get that. Yes. Sebastian's down there. He's having a good time. Was it Sebastian? I don't care. It doesn't matter. Anyways, but so the, the movement of sand underwater. Yep. Transmits up through the water and yep, into the and sky. The- the sound and, and wave sounds travels, yeah. like Jurassic Park. Apparently so, yeah. Has this been conclusively proven, or is this one of those uh, swamp gas explanations? Um, I believe in a couple of cases they have kind of proved that it happens during this stormy period. But it, it's one of those. It explains a couple, but not the vast majority. Interesting. Well, folks, if you have had an experience with this, I would love to hear about it. Uh, gmail.com, of course. Speaking of inadequate explanations for uh, strange phenomenon, we also mentioned on the previous show, you and I talked about the Phoenix Lights. Yes. <laughs> and now I, I knew nothing about it beforehand. I think I'd, I'd heard a last podcast on the last, uh, pardon me, last podcast on the left about it at one point, but I, I, I know this kind of stuff doesn't stick with me very well. But we, you and I talked about the Phoenix Lights and then I just happened to be listening to the Hardly Paranormal podcast. And they had a, a really fun episode on them. So that was kind of a, a fun uh, coincidence. Hmm. And then a little while later, I stumbled upon the fact that Modest Most had released an album in 2015. And of course, being a child of the 2000s, mm. you know, like having sort of my, my, my youth in my 20s and the tw- 2000s, Modest Most was a uh, was big part of that. So I, I was listening to the record and, and reading a review of it. And one of the songs was apparently inspired by the Phoenix Lights. Mm. And I thought, well, that's... Well, funny that comes up again, just a, a day after the Hardly Paranormal episode and two days after we talked about it, but oh, okay, sure. And then you had mentioned drone swarms. Yes. And Rachel, who's a friend of the show, she had, had not, I believe, heard the new episode yet, but she, out, out, apropos of nothing, sent me a link about an artist who does visual art using lit drone swarms. And it was the wildest shit. I, I, cause you and I talked about that and I mentioned I was unfamiliar with it. 
Yeah. But it just, again, this, the three, I guess, synchronicities at that point, lining up with, with the Phoenix lights. And, uh, you know, I, I recall reading somewhere that to observe a, f- a higher frequency of synchronicities is to know you're, you're go- so you're going the right direction. Yeah. Uh, you know, that you're on the right path. Mm-hmm. And th- that was reassuring. <laughs> after after the month the month the last last month and a half that that was reassuring let me tell you <laughs> plus it proves that I didn't make it up about the drones also this yeah I mean you know I, I've I've got my list of things I'm certain Paul is lying about but uh, yeah, yeah I will cross that off I think they're breathtaking they are in- incredibly beautiful oh truly absolutely and and again if I if I remember I'll try and put a link to that uh, that artist in the show notes because he really does some spectacular stuff mm. and I I also just saw another article about uh, drone swarms becoming so fast that humans cannot fight back against them. But, but again, we, we, let's not worry about that. <laughs> yeah, we'll worry about that for an- another day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, well, my anxiety will slot that into the, uh, the, the, like the second, the second position on shit that I need to worry about today. Well, maybe that's what the horns are signifying. It's the rise of the drones. Oh, don't do that, Paul. <laughs> Paul, don't do that. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a little break. I'm going to take my medication. And we'll be right back with stories of haunted graveyards. Welcome back. As we said before the break, I took a minute to do some deep breathing because Paul is apparently trying to uh, push me into a panic attack. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and on this episode, to help me relax, we're going to be talking about death a lot. You know, that's, that's what I figure that'll soothe me right down. Um, we're we're going to be talking about haunted graveyards. And you, Paul, you found some, uh, you found as you, as you always do, you found some great additional material. And uh, so tell me a little bit about what you found, some some famous haunted graveyards. Yeah, well, obviously graveyards are something very close to my heart, having grown up living across the road from one in a converted vicarage. Wow, okay, that'll do it. And we actually found a grave in our front garden. So, um... The story we're going with, eh? We found that here. (laughs) Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Mm, So I've always been attracted to graveyards. I think they are strangely beautiful places in the right environment, I think, with the architecture and the history and and everything that comes with them. Oh, sure. I mean, the, the graveyard in Revelstoke is really quite beautiful. I mean, it, you know, it, it, all, all kidding aside, uh, you know, it's, it's on top of a hill. The, there are mountains in the distance. You know, if, if you got to spend eternity moldering away somewhere, you, you could do a lot worse. Graveyards have often gone hand in hand with the paranormal throughout all the years of, of writing and investigating ghosts, which is one of those strange things because nobody actually ever dies in a graveyard. So I'm not sure why they should be haunted. I've heard from some people this notion that the dead, when they cross, mm. they don't really know what else to do. So they, they stay with their body. Yeah. And inevitably, of course, the end of the line is going to be the graveyard. Yeah. So I, I wonder if that's got something to do with it. It's a it's a, a reasonable explanation in regards to why something would be there, yeah. And just for, so our listeners know, you're gonna be you're gonna be hearing something on Paul's side, and that's because he's getting a sweet ass a sweet ass thunderstorm right now. <laughs> yeah, just what we need when we're having a spooky conversation. <laughs> 
I, you couldn't ask for better. The, the, where I live, the weather is, uh, the weather never does anything particularly interesting. So it, it is just sort of like either, uh, slightly overcast or slightly sunny. It vacillates between the two and a thunderstorm <laughs> is, uh, is about as hard to find as original ideas. So it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Well, we've had everything in the last week. We've had, we've had, uh, severe snow, heavy rain, floods, uh, and then it was 10 degrees and sunny for some reason the other day. Yeah. But climate change is a myth, Paul. No, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the collection of graveyards. So I've all, often been attracted to stories and legends in regards to them. And, and the UK, as you may imagine, has several. There's one in Edinburgh, which is known as Greyfriars Cemetery. So Greyfriars Cemetery is allegedly the home of Britain's most violent poltergeist. Oh, okay. He's known as Bloody Mackenzie. But you, you put allegedly in there, so I'm going to guess it is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. So anybody that visits the area uh, and goes on the ghost tour w- runs the risk of being attacked, hit, scratched, have their hair pulled, whatever. Um, but it's one of those stories that once you start to dig into its origin, none of it makes sense. Bloody Mackenzie was a rather nasty magistrate who wrought bloody havoc on the local covenators in the 18th century, um, starving them, chastising them, overtaxing them, and, and just basically driving them to, the, to death. And he's ended up being buried in the same graveyard where most of his victims are entombed. So you would imagine that this ghost would have been wandering around for a couple of centuries. But no, this ghost is apparently only awoken at the end of the 20th century by a homeless man who broke into his tomb. I mean, hell, I've had a homeless man sleeping outside my window, so I understand his consternation. (laughs) Yes, but here's the first problem. There's no record of that ever happening. Oh, I see. So it's one of those where it's it's a story that can't be validated. This is is the Annabelle of graveyards. Uh, Yeah, something similar to this. So we also get the fact that certain reports say the event started in the 1940s. Others say they didn't start until this alleged breaking by a homeless man. So already we've got two different origin stories. Right. Nobody is allowed to investigate the site because it's privately owned by a ghost tour company. Oh. And you can only visit it on the ghost tour. Shock. Exactly. However, there is a very weird story connected with this. Which is, in 2004, two teenage boys did actually desecrate the tomb of Bloody Mackenzie, break oh, in, smash his coffin open, and decided to take his skull and use it in a game of football. You're shitting me. Nope. They Apparently. decapitated a dead body. <laughs> yeah. That's worse than that, that movie with Method Man and Red Man where they smoked the dead genius. Like, that's, <laughs> that is grim. Yeah. Um, apparently they, their excuses were, they were doing it to try and impress some young ladies who were with them. Ava Braun? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I grew up with some very interesting characters. Even they would have drawn the line at playing football with a skull. Um, and they ended up being the first people put on trial for grave robbing in a hundred years in the UK, though the charges were eventually dropped and they basically just told you, for God's sake, just. Stay at home. <laughs> don't don't do anything like this again. 
Now, boys, please don't kick any more corpses' heads down the street. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's it's quite interesting if you want to dive into the, the legend and the myth. I did an episode with it uh, with the marvellous Haley Stevens, and Haley's done the investigation oh, of been on the tour and everything. So Haley's kind of the, the go-to person in regards to getting the real story of the Mackenzie's poltergeist. Now, there was another famous cemetery we talked about briefly, and that was uh, Glasnevin. Yes. In Dublin, correct? Mm, yeah. And now Glasnevin, I remember we actually ran a story, if I'm not mistaken, we ran a story on that in episode 80, May the Dead Rise Up to Meet You, The Haunting of Ireland. But would you know it? I went and tried to find that script to find the story. It is gone. Mm. That's the, that is the only script in our entire Google cloud that is gone. Every other episode from zero to, or from one up to the present day is still there. But The Haunting of Ireland, which was, uh, if our listeners will recall, a, a famously fraught recording uh, with a lot of technical difficulties, <laughs> that script is now gone. But uh, what, what were some of the, what were some of the, the more, uh, the famous ca- cases from there that you, that you found? Well, Glasnevin's got one of those wonderful stories that, ironically enough, something that ties in with a recent episode that we've done as well, which is animal ghosts. Um, and a local hero who was the sea captain, John McNeil Boyd, he died trying to save people during a ferocious storm in 1861 and was essentially swept off the beach by a freak wave um, and his body was never recovered. So it's one of those where he's got a grave, but there's, there's nothing in it. Right. And he had a faithful Newfoundland dog who was his constant companion. I mean, Boyd was a, was a forward-thinking captain. He was completely against using corporal punishment. He was a, a highly respected member of the Royal Navy, um, seen action all across the world. Um, he was the kind of captain that you would expect Russell Crowe to play in a film version of his life. Okay, I've got a mental image. Mid-2000s, Russell Crowe. Yeah. Kind of hunky, uh, you know, master and commando Russell Crowe. Yeah, I, I can see it. Yeah, absolutely. So his dog spirit is supposed to have starved itself to death through grief and then spent the rest of eternity simply either laying around or on his gravestone or taking a trip and guarding the graveyard from unwanted visitors. He better have a goddamn good reason for not coming back from the sea to find his, his dog because that, that is that is heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. It's the perfect storm of paranormal sadness, isn't it? It really is. What better way to, to cheer everybody up than a heartwarming story of someone being buried alive? I'm so on board, Paul. Tell me. One of the most famous ghosts in South America is notoriously haunting the Recoleta Cemetery, which is in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Oh, which, of course. Which is the final resting place of the great and the good of Argentinian society, including the eventual appearance of Eva Perón. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it was a long road for uh, for Evita to find her way to back to Argentina. Mm, it sort of went on a world tour. Yeah, there's actually a really great uh, fiction book about that called Blood Makes Noise. Mm. It was written by Gregory Wyden, who wrote and directed, or he, sorry, he wrote the Highlander films. And uh, he wrote, yeah, he, once he made, this is back when you used to make a ton of money from writing, uh, writing Hollywood movies. He eventually just took, took his money and traveled the world. And, uh, he became really, really interested in the story of Ava Perone's body. And so he wrote this novel called Blood Makes Noise about, yeah, the, uh, 
you know, his, his take on the journey that her body, her body took to finally arrive back in, in Argentina at Recoleta Cemetery. It's, it's worth picking up just uh, apropos of nothing. It's, it's a solid read. If you like, if you like detective fiction and historical fiction, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. So alongside Eva is the poor and tragic story of Rufina Cambacares, who was a socialite who mysteriously collapsed one day, age 19. 19? Uh, oh, man. Yeah. Pronounced dead by three doctors. The family made the arrangements, took her to the family mausoleum, and that was that. However- mm, You said this involved someone being buried alive, so I'm going to guess that was not, in fact, that. You'd be right. So, oh, no. a few days later, the cemetery worker, uh, who did work in the mausoleum for the family- noticed that the coffin had moved inside the crypt and the lid seemed to be cracked and split. Oh, no. So he went over, opened the lid, and on opening it, realized that the poor, tragic Rafina had been buried alive and the coffin oh. had been moved in her frantic attempts to escape her suffocating end. That is awful. That is a literal living nightmare. Three doctors, I put to you, those were not doctors. They managed to find three men in long coats. Yes. <laughs> yeah, how bad can you be? I like, sir, I am a dentist. I don't know. Even a dentist can presumably tell you whether or not someone is alive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and it's one of those where the inside coffin lid had scratches and her nails were all split and broken and her fingers oh. were all bloody, where she'd obviously been frantically trying to get out. Um, and obviously- the ramifications of this were on the family were, you know, incredible. So the father essentially rebuilt the mausoleum and it now has a statue of her portrayed opening the doors, which you can visit. And her shade is said to still wander the cemetery looking for her way out home and oddly occasionally digs up another body or two. Just the spirit is believed to dig up dead bodies. Yes. Well, on that chilling note... <laughs> The dead being pulled from their graves by the other dead, which I yes. think is a movie. <laughs> it is time for our stories. Laid to rest. In my 20s, I worked in construction as a laborer. It was difficult work, but the money was good, and it kept me in shape. You would know it from the spare tire I carry around these days, but back then I looked like I was cut from stone. Don't get old, kids. It's a bad deal. Anyways, my time on the construction crew wasn't just the time of my life where I most resembled that old Bob Seger song. It was also when I had my one and only experience with the paranormal. One hot summer, we had to dig up the connector pipe running from the municipal water main to a church that's been in our city for a very long time. How long, you ask? Well, I don't know exactly, but I do know that from around 1100 to 1800-ish, the church's front garden functioned as a graveyard for the wealthy. And I know that because we started turning up bones as we dug. My brother-in-law works as a funeral director, and he told me that it usually takes around 100 years for bones to turn to dust, but the bones we were turning up with an excavator, no less, were preserved by the clay-like soil in which they'd been buried. Watching those bodies emerge from the soil ahead of the excavator's blade was a disturbing experience. All the connective tissue was long gone, of course, so it was almost like a wave of dirt and muddy bones rising up at you, 
some of the latter sheared in half by the brute force of the machinery. Being the new guy, it became my job to separate the bones from the earth, brushing them as clean as I could and putting them on a sheet of cardboard until the archaeologists could take over when they arrived. It was them who filled me in on the history of the area. Now, I'm not a superstitious person, but the longer I worked on those bones, the more I felt as though I was being watched, and I don't mean by my co-workers. These invisible observers started to become more bold and more visible. From the corner of my eye, I could see two people standing next to the hole we'd ripped in the earth. The moment I turned back to look at them, they disappeared. When they first became visible, it seemed like they were upset. They would gesticulate angrily. But it seemed like the more they saw how careful I was being, the more comfortable they were with my being there. These people would appear a few more times, sometimes even in the backseat of my car when it was empty. But as soon as the bones were again laid to rest, the spirits seemed to go with them. And that is really interesting to me because we, we have this listener story that I unfortunately can't tell, mm. but it concerns a construction site. And I, I do wonder how often that happens, but we're just not privy to it. You know, I know when the Revelstoke Courthouse was built in, uh, I think it was 1913, if I remember correctly, it's a grand old building, but it's, it's in the center of the most haunted part of town. And in, in my book, a uh, strange little place. <laughs> Now an audible best-selling audiobook, which was completely unexpected. But anyways, that's, that's another matter entirely. Uh, but some people put it to me that this perhaps was an old burial ground. And that's why that part of town was the most haunted part of town. But there's nothing on record to suggest that. There's, there's zero record of a graveyard. But stories like this and, and the other ones I've heard make me wonder if maybe, you know, the bones were just not treated with the reverence they should have been. Because, you know, finding bones means, okay, we got to stop. We got to catalog these things. Uh, there's actually a story later on in the, in the show that, that really deals with this. Mm. And so, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if there are more stories like this out there where bones are just discarded. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our house was fine until we found the grave. Run that one by me again. So... <laughs> Our house was fine until we found the grave in the front garden. And that was the grave of a six-month-old baby girl. You're, the house you live in currently? No, no. The, the house I grew up in that ended up becoming haunted. Oh, okay, okay. That's what triggered it. Fascinating. And so was it by disinterring the remains that, that this happened or that you found it? I think it's because we found it. Because we treated them with the reverence and respect they deserved. Um, okay. But... I think it may have just awoken something because essentially it was just a grave discarded in the ground. Oh, wow. It wasn't even I mean, in the churchyard. Is that technically a grave or did they just bury something in the yard? I mean, that, that's... Well, there was a gravestone over it. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. So the gravestone had been laid flat and the burial right. was underneath. Interesting. And what started happening once you found it? <laughs> what didn't? Oh, okay. This is, this is a long one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's just say um, we lived there another two years. Really? Is that why you moved? It was one of the key factors, yes. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a whole episode of the Sunken Library right there, Paul. Me interviewing you about the house you grew up in. Yeah. I mean, I have talked about it once, but not really in depth. So, I mean, it's it's one of those things. Um, we had a lot of weird stuff going. A lot of strange stuff, a lot of funny stuff. I mean, occasionally there were some nasty things happened. But a lot of it was just bloody weird. Occasionally, 
we would come home to find the bath had been filled almost to overflowing with cold water. Oh, now you would find, would you be turning it off before it, it topped out or it was just full of cold water? It was just full. So like the tap had turned on, filled and then turned off. Yeah. About an inch before it overflowed. Wow. That is, that is terrifying. That's genuinely terrifying. Yeah. It had a thing for water. Coincidentally, that syncs up with another story later in the show. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite common in some poltergeist hauntings, pools of water just appearing on the floor. Interesting. Well, watch this space, folks, for when I can convince Paul to talk about all of this on the Sunken Library, which of course is for our patrons. Rumble Underground. Let me preface this story by saying that I'm not a flighty person. I don't believe in the power of crystals, chakras, or psychics, but I do believe in the validity of personal experience, and so I am conflicted. You see, my boyfriend and I live in the UK, and a few years back decided we needed a little getaway, so we booked an Airbnb in a remote part of the country. On one of our long walks, we came across a small church and graveyard not terribly far from our cottage. As someone with an interest in genealogy, Graveyards have always interested me, and so we detoured through to check out the stones. About midway through the graveyard, one particularly large cast-iron marker caught my attention. Most of it was webbed, with the inscription at the bottom badly faded. I leaned in to try and read what was written there, and that's when I heard the rumble. It was deep and heavy, but quiet too. Not a steady sound, but rather a kind of pulsing hum. If you stood up, it was no longer audible. Like I said before, I'm not given to fantasy, and so my first thought was maybe it had something to do with planes passing overhead, but my boyfriend is an obsessive plane anorak, and he used the flight tracker app on his phone to show me no planes had been nearby for hours. So what was it? What deep rumble pulses underground in the middle of nowhere? And that is an excellent question. And I, I thought maybe this might be something you had some insight into. You know, I'm, I'm one of the weird people that's actually experienced uh, a rather amusing earthquake in the UK, which was, which was remarkable in, in its strangeness. So, so um, <laughs> I, I have to know, because I yeah. did not realize you guys had earthquakes. Yeah, it's, I think it's the third biggest we've had um, in modern history here in the UK. It was 5.1. Um, oh, wow which was the same level as the earthquake that set off Mount St. Helens. Um, and it happened at 1am in the morning uh, and we'd been out uh, <laughs> to a pub quiz. So we'd come back and I'd, you know, I'd had a couple of shandies and stuff. And I was just sat in my, uh, in our little office at the time, just got the radio on and I was, I was listening. And then all of a sudden I heard this. And I thought, what the hell is going on here? It was like somebody had got a generator going. And then the next thing, I realized I'd moved 10 foot across the office floor on this chair. I'd just gone oh. from one side to the other. Oh. The dogs barking, all the car alarms going off. And we'd had an earthquake. I'll be damned. <laughs> it was brilliant. The only time I've experienced something that here was, uh, I was leaving at Tim Hortons at about uh, midnight, maybe. I was in the parking lot and I started hearing this rhythmic banging sound. I, and I thought someone was trying to break the window behind me. Yeah. So I turned to look and it's the, 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 the huge window is just like wobbling in place. And I realized, no, this is an earthquake. Mm. And I had, I had never experienced one before. And I got to tell you, I'm in no hurry to experience one again. 
So um, we we have quite a lot of very small ones. So, oh, okay. I mean, it could be that. I'm not saying it is. It could be that. Um, I mean, obviously, it depends which part of the UK they were in. Could it be, because obviously the UK is full of abandoned mining, because all, all oh, our coal mines are shut. So it might be water or, or gas escaping somewhere, something like that. It oh, could be. Interesting. interesting. Or, of course, it, it, it could be, you know, trolls. Yeah, I was going to say, Tommy Knocker is the vengeful dead, any number of horrific alternatives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mining gnomes, anything. We actually, we, speaking of old mines, we, have you ever heard of the Ding Dong Mine? No, I haven't. So it, it's, it's a mine in Cornwall. Mm-hmm. And um, it's uh, that when we got married, because we got married in Penzance. Yes. But in the, in the week leading up to it, we stayed at a cottage with uh, Nick's mom and my aunt and uncle who come over for the wedding. And I didn't know at the time, there was just a sign that said Ding Dong. And I thought, of course, you know, this is England. It's hilarious. <laughs> but in, in doing some research for this show, I, I ended up looking around and it turns out Ding Dong is an old mine. Mm. And there are stories about Tommy knockers and yeah. spirits. Yeah. And I thought, of course I end up at the cottage of the country near the place famous for Tommy knockers and spirits. Of course I do. I, God forbid I end up somewhere that's not haunted for a moment. <laughs> the voice. This story is adapted from the evergreen cemetery chapter in Mario Becerra's haunted East LA. And you should really, really pick that up, uh, because it's on Kindle, for like five fifty in the US and in Canada, you can read it for free with Kindle Unlimited. Uh, Mario's a really great guy. So far, he's only written the one book that I'm aware of, but folks, it, it's really good. It's a really good ghost book. It's one of the few ghost books I can honestly say I wish was longer. It's, it's a pretty short book. And of course, we did interview Mario on episode, I want to say episode 10 or 11, but still pick up Haunted East LA if you haven't read it, because it is worth your time. And actually, if you've got a a sort of true crime bent. There is a story in there concerning Richard Ramirez, which is only told in that book and provides some really curious insight into his arrest and possibly his motivations. If, if you are inclined to believe there are spiritual causes for certain kinds of violence or spiritual influences, I should say that, you know, he is at fault for his actions, but yeah, if you're interested in, in how the paranormal can influence violent behavior or possibly influence violent behavior, I recommend checking out, uh, checking out Haunted East LA. But anyways, the year my wife Monica died was a difficult one. We were young and healthy, confident in the knowledge that the reality of death was something we wouldn't have to face for years to come. A car accident on Monica's way home from work taught us otherwise and losing her plunged me into a depression so deep. I became convinced there was no way out. We both grew up in LA and Monica was buried in Evergreen Cemetery. After her funeral, I would feel guilty for leaving her there and would spend hours there every day, either at her grave or walking around. I know it doesn't make sense, but I think part of me thought if I waited long enough, maybe she'd turn up somehow. It's not logical, of course, but I've learned that grief rarely is. This became a problem, of course, both for my work and general health as I stopped eating and would sleep only fitfully, the guilt forcing my consciousness back to the surface every 30 minutes or so. It's very likely that if this had continued, I would have died. And looking back now, I think that was the point. Without her, I didn't see any reason to go on. It was a voice that saved me. 
Early one evening, as the final streaks of purple sunset were giving way to the blackness of night, I was walking toward the Evergreen Chapel on the first street side of the cemetery. At least, that's where I was physically. Mentally, I was miles away, trying to find a version of my situation where all of this was a terrible mistake and Monica was still alive. As I approached the chapel, a woman's voice penetrated the fog around me. She called my name, so softly that at first I believed I'd imagined it. A few steps later, the voice called me again, and it was unmistakable. It seemed as though it was coming from the direction of the chapel, so I kept walking that way, trying to place the voice, which seemed familiar but elusive. It wasn't Monica, I knew that much, but still, it was a comforting sound that I recognized from somewhere. In the gathering dark, I walked around the chapel to find no one, and was just about to write it all off when the voice called again, closer than ever. And that's when it all snapped into focus. It was the voice of my mother, who had died when I was a boy. As soon as I'd made that mental connection, all the strength went out of me and I dropped to my knees. I wept harder than I ever had, and she spoke my name one last time. A feeling of deep, unwavering love flooded over me, and I knew she was with me. In that moment, I felt a glimmer of hope. And though it didn't last long, that feeling carried me through the next few weeks, as I began to take care of myself again and rebuild my life. And, you know, I uh, really connected with that one, with just this notion that if you if you think about it long enough, maybe you'll find a way that this is all a, a mistake. Yeah. You know, we, we had a, a member of my family pass uh, very, very suddenly um, back, actually, 11 years ago now, 11 years ago this summer. Mm. Um, or sorry, no, 11 years ago, mm, coming up in March, actually. It was, uh, it was my uncle, and uh, him and my aunt were on vacation. And he had a, a heart attack in the pool of mm. the Best Western in Tehachapi, California. And I will never forget the phone call that came in and, and when I was inf- given the news because it didn't seem possible, you know? It, it mm. just seemed like, I remember saying to my, it was my mother who called and I said, are you kidding? And I understand it's a stupid thing to say because it, no one would ever fucking joke about that. But <laughs> it, it just seemed so impossible. That's literally all I could think of. So I, I've, apart from, you know, sort of the, the being contacted by the, the voice of, of his mother, which was, you know, quite nice, I just really connected with the, the sense of unreality that person must have felt. Yeah, it, it is difficult, especially when it's sudden and it's unexpected, because it, it's, it's a different kind of grief than perhaps if someone's been ill or they're maybe older. It, it seems, and I don't wish to trivialize it, it, it sometimes seems easier than when it's completely unexpected. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I understand. I don't, I, I don't think you're being glib at all or, or whatever. I know mm. that it, it's, it's very much a different experience. You still grieve, but you grieve in a much different way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's a situation, unfortunately, that I've, I've gone through several times in life. I mean, especially in, in this day and age with, with people that, you know, one particular incident where I saw someone, they left. And then half an hour later, we found out they'd, they'd died in a car crash. Oh, God. So, um, and, and the ramifications of that stay with me for, for months. I can't imagine. I, I, th- just, just the thought of that. Because there, you know, there's a handful of people I see, and the thought that one of them would leave one day and not come back, I mean, it, it's chilling. Well, that's a, that's a buzzkill right there. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit heavy. Yeah. Sorry, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Hey, we're, this is, this is what we do. Um, going back to, to the, to Evergreen though, I will say, I just, it, I, I talked about it at the top of the story. Mario Becerra's Haunted East LA is a really, really good book. Mm. Um, I, I know Mario was talking about, uh, writing a larger book on LA proper. I don't think it's been released, but I, I, I truly hope he does go back to writing because again, he's a very, 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 very gifted writer. And he had some access because he grew up in East LA. He had some access and some connections that, that just led to some really brilliant stories. Mm. So uh, again, I, I hope that, uh, I hope he does that. Cause I, I haven't seen a lot of great ghost books come out of LA. Mm. You know, I, I'm fascinated by the city, but I don't know of many that have originated there. And, and in fact, actually I tried to pitch my publisher on a book of LA ghost stories back after strange came out Yeah, and they said no. So maybe that's why they said that people in LA don't care about ghosts in LA. Hmm. That is strange though. Do you think that's because LA in the, in the history of the States is, is quite a young city? You know, honestly, I don't know. I mean, certainly the, the material is there. Yeah. I mean, our listener, Ella, I met up with her when we were both happened to be in Los Angeles. She coming from Australia and I was, uh, you know, on vacation and just walking around downtown, you could feel the energy starting to come in from all sides at about eight o'clock at night. Mm. You know, you could feel the number of places you could walk start to dwindle as, as you moved. Like just, it felt, it felt like something was shutting off streets. So th yeah. there's certainly no shortage of stories, but yeah, I don't know. I wonder if it's just not, uh, if there's just no collective interest. Yeah. I mean, it is peculiar maybe because there's a couple of really famous poltergeist cases from California as well. Whereabouts? San Pedro, which is just outside LA. Hmm. The Jackie Hernandez case. Um, that's the one where the guy was hung by something in the attic. Oh, wow. I'm not familiar with that one at all. It's a very, they actually got a picture of him being hung. Really? Yeah. And obviously the, the entity case occurred in Culver City in California. I did not know that. Yeah. Fascinating. So yeah, so obviously the material is there, but I don't know if it's, again, maybe there is so much there that it's a little bit like bringing Cole to Newcastle. Yeah. You know, the, the, they've got, they've got the stories. They don't need you to tell them. I, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe that LA book will one day be written. Maybe. Mm. Okay. Maybe between the two of us, we can figure it out. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? All right. We've brought that up nicely from the, the death and sadness at which, we, <laughs> at which we started. So that's good. That's good. <laughs> Paul and Bren save the day from themselves. <laughs> People skills. We live in a small town where rumours are as much a source of entertainment as anything, and the biggest source of those rumours is the town pub. At the time of this story, I was too young to go there, but my father would go there two or three times a week with the men from work, and he always came home with stories. One of those stories laid the groundwork for what I still believe to be my first paranormal experience. The story Dad was told involved the graveyard. The men in the pub claimed there was some kind of psychic medium or monk living rough in the woods, sometimes in the graveyard, and that he had some kind of supernatural ability. Of course, living in a small town means not having much to do, and when I told my friend Jack about this, he said we should go and find this guy. As you may have guessed, Jack was not clever, but again, small town and my friend options were limited. The next free day we had, we biked several miles out to the graveyard, 
and found a bench from which to stake out the place. We arrived in late afternoon and saw the usual graveyard crowd. As time passed, the number of people thinned out until finally only one remained. An old, bearded man on a bench by the parking lot. He didn't appear particularly noteworthy, but the stories had said that this was what we were looking for, so Jack and I cautiously approached him. The man was surrounded by plastic bags, full of what I assume were his belongings, and was smoking a cigarette. Next to him was half a carton of the same. The old man was now looking at us, his deep-set eyes apprehensive. By this point, I wasn't quite sure what to do. We'd heard about the man, now come to see him, but I didn't know what came next. Is there a good way to ask a stranger if they have psychic powers? Frankly, that would have been better than what Jack did, which was to insult the old man. I won't repeat what he said, but it's the opposite of how I imagine one should speak to a person with possible psychic powers. I decided the best course of action was to remove myself, but Jack remained, trying to get a rise out of the old man, who steadfastly refused to respond. Since Jack had gone into full-on gorilla mode, this pissed him off even more, and he retaliated by grabbing the old man's cigarettes and crushing them underfoot. This got a reaction. From his spot on the bench, the old man rose to his full height, at least a foot taller than both of us, and looked directly into Jack's eyes before saying, You are a disgrace before God. Then, he simply walked away. Exhaled a breath I didn't know I was holding, and told Jack we should go. Not content to let the old man have the last word, he shouted after him, calling him a coward and worse. Like I said, he wasn't a bright kid. The bill came due later that night when we had a sleepover at Jack's house. The first part of the night wasn't special at all. We watched a movie, had snacks, and did all the things we usually did when one of us stayed over with the other. It happened in the night, when I woke up in my sleeping bag on Jack's floor. The room was dark, with only a slither of streetlight visible through the blinds, just enough for me to make out a tall, dark shape next to Jack's bed. The figure was entirely shadowed, I couldn't make out any features, and seemed to be touching Jack's wrist. Obviously I started to panic, and went to get up, but then the figure turned towards me, and slowly shook its head, as if to say, no, this doesn't concern you. At this, I figured it had to be a lucid dream, so I rolled over and went back to sleep. The following morning, however, I wasn't so sure, because Jack looked like hell. He was pale, felt sick, and said that he had had difficulty sleeping all night. It had been hard to breathe, and something felt wrong with his heartbeat, like it couldn't keep a rhythm. That was enough to make me pause with a spoonful of cereal halfway to my mouth, and I almost told him about my dream, but decided things were bad enough for him as it was. By the end of the day, Jack felt normal again, and never made a connection between his illness and what had happened between him and the old man, but I knew, and subtly suggested over the next few weeks, that maybe, just maybe, he should work on his people's skills. Yeah, to say the least... Quite, quite frankly, I would have held down Jack as and, and just helped the old man beat the shit out of him. I, I, <laughs> I'll hold him, you hit him. <laughs> yeah, right. Come on, old ghost. We, we'll take turns. We'll take turns. I'm with you on this. 
Because he knew. That kid knew. I, I just love that, like, the old man ghost kind of looked at him and went, uh-uh. And the kid's like, yeah, no, no, right. He's a piece of shit. I'm, I'm going back to sleep. You have fun. Yeah, this is definitely a dream. Good night. Yep. I'm, no, I, I have plausible deniability here. I'm going to roll over, and you can jump inside his chest like Shang Tsung and explode him <laughs> from the inside. Picking mushrooms. Have you ever tried mushroom picking? It's not exactly easy at first, as you can go very wrong very quickly if you pick the wrong kind, but once you get the hang of it, it's rewarding to end a walk in the woods with a basket of treats for dinner. I know this because the woods near my house are home to a couple varieties of oyster mushroom, which grow on various felled trees, and sometimes when the conditions are right, I'll go on a little shopping trip. Because of the humidity in our area, we often get pink oysters, which are a personal favorite of mine, or at least they were. Now they have an uncomfortable association for me. Which leads me to my story. It started in the afternoon, when I'd been out for a long walk and decided, on my way back, to have a look for some oysters. To get to the woods on my usual route, you must first pass through an old graveyard, which in addition to all those dead bodies, has some dead trees that can sometimes have good pickings. This time around, however, there was nothing, so I continued on into the woods. You're never alone in the forest. Not really. Even if you can't see anything apart from the towering canopy of trees above, you can be sure at least one animal and countless insects are aware of you, and that's why the sensation of being watched didn't bother me that day. At least not at first. I told myself it was probably a deer or an owl checking me out. After a few minutes of following the path deeper into the trees, all ambient noise stopped and the forest went completely silent. This is not normal and I immediately decided to pick mushrooms another day. I ran from the forest, and it was on my way out that I saw the path. Not the path I'd been on, you understand, but another one I hadn't noticed before. My family has spent years living in that neighborhood, and I've spent a lot of time in those woods, so a new path seemed both strange and exciting, and curiosity replaced my discomfort. Are you serious? No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, go. Go home. Go home now. Never come back. I changed direction and walked up the new path some ways. If I'd been hoping for revelations, I was disappointed, as there wasn't much on that path except for rusted out cans, trash, and a returning sense of unease. The view was prosaic, but something about it felt wrong, as if I'd wandered into a party where the house rules were very important and I didn't know them at all. Then I heard a sound. Imagine the noise a frog makes but high-pitched and melodic, almost as if someone were singing in a strange tongue. Oh boy. The hair on my neck stood up, and I started running again, not stopping until I'd reached the outer edges of suburbia, where the familiar sight of driveways and cultivated lawns felt like a safe place to stop. Catching my breath, I turned around to look back toward the wood, and directly in front of me were three small balls of light. I don't remember their color or size, just that there were three of them, and I was scared out of my goddamn mind. I ran the rest of the way home, and that was the end of my mushroom picking days. And yeah, I'll say so. <laughs> you, you had this coming, man. Jesus. Oh, a yeah. new path in the woods. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, the, all the warning signs are there, you know. Just get out as quickly as you can. Yep. Go home. Learn the accordion. I don't know. But don't pick mushrooms in the goddamn woods anymore. Especially on your own. Yeah. That, oh, that's it. I remember uh, years ago, and actually this kind of relates to another story we're going to be telling here in a bit, but 
there is an old abandoned settlement outside of Victoria, way off in the sticks. Hmm. And, uh, Nikki and I managed to get out there once we, we hiked out, uh, which is not something I do often, but I was very curious. And so we went out there, but the entire time I was out there, I was just certain that we should not be out of each other's view for mm. very long. I couldn't explain it. You know, it's not like it's bear country out here. I'm sure we have bears, but you know, it's not like back home. It just felt, I don't know, there is a sense of, nope, you stay close to each other and don't, don't lose sight of each other for too, too long. So to, to go mushroom picking on your own in the woods, Jesus. Sounds like Will of the Wisp came to pay, pay the person a visit. Well, that's it. I mean, we, we actually have heard this, this story before in terms of the three orbs pursuing someone on the haunted prisons episode. I think it was called these, uh, these old, these haunted penitentiary blues. Hmm. Uh, there is a story from Kentucky state penitentiary where a guard was almost hypnotized by these three, uh, three floating orbs. It, it almost, I think, as I recall, made him, they made him nauseous. There was something about them that, about the, these things that produced this, this nausea in him. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, as you say, will of the wisp. I mean, there are certain other things I could probably call it that I'm not going to, because I seem to invoke trouble when I, <laughs> when I discuss the subject, but, uh, you well, know I'm what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm not mentioning them either after what happened to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The little ones. In my life, I've had a few experiences you might call paranormal, but they weren't all that interesting. Someone calling my name when there's no one around, having small items disappear and reappear a short time after. The little stuff. Nothing like what's been happening since we relocated to rural Oklahoma. When my father-in-law Harris died, my husband David and I had been eking a living out on the West Coast. We were doing all right, but David has a minor criminal record from when he was a young man, and it made finding well-paying work difficult for him, despite his qualifications. Consequently, when Harris died and left us the family home in a quiet corner of the Soon Estate, surrounded by hills and deep woods, it wasn't a difficult decision. It would have been an adjustment from Tacoma, but my work was portable and our dollars would stretch much further. At nine months old, our daughter Miller was young enough that the change wouldn't make any difference to her, and I liked the idea of bringing her up somewhere peaceful. Before we made the leap, David warned me that strange things tended to happen on the family property, but he was vague and since my own experiences had been mild, I didn't push it too hard. Besides, being out in the country, with the only other structure nearby being the community church and adjoining graveyard, I figured they may be over-interpreting otherwise innocuous phenomena. I was wrong. The event I want to talk about happened one night when the three of us were watching television. David and I were on the sofa, Miller in her walker. When David got up to get a snack from the kitchen, Miller followed him, and so when I caught movement down the hallway to my right, moving from the spare bedroom to the bathroom, I called out. David, I said, is Miller with you? At that, he poked his head around the corner, looking puzzled. Yeah, of course, she's right here. Why? Now it was my turn to look puzzled. I just saw something her height walk into the bathroom. I only saw the back of her head as it moved, but I assumed it was her. Immediately, David picked Miller up and brought her to me, then went down the hallway to check it out. He didn't find anything, of course, but what I had seen was unmistakable. A small person had crossed the hallway 
And if it wasn't our daughter, who or what was it? Days later, Isla, one of David's cousins, came over to help us with some home renovations, and I decided to ask her if she'd ever had any experiences in the house. She had, she said, but didn't offer anything else, so I specifically mentioned the small figure I'd seen crossing the hallway, and her face went blank. Isla told David, who had been in another room mixing paint, that we had to run into town, but would be right back. She didn't speak again until we were a good ten minutes away from the house, and then she said something I'll never forget. What you saw. Harris always called them the little ones. Don't talk about them, especially at night. And if you see one again, do not look at it. Pretend you didn't see anything, and everything will be fine. You also have to keep the house clean and make sure neither of you drink heavily. I don't know why it matters, but it does. The Graveyard Girl Living next to a graveyard was never something I planned. But when you get offered a great deal on a furnished studio apartment with a lovely terrace, you tend not to worry so much about all the dead people visible from your breakfast nook. Okay, in truth I don't have a breakfast nook, but I can see the village graveyard through my kitchen window if I stand on my tiptoes. A few days after getting settled in my apartment, I took a long walk with my boyfriend Patrice to familiarize myself with the new neighborhood, finding, among other things, a patisserie, a chemist, and grocery store. I was going to like living here, I said to myself. On the way home, Patrice and I took a walk through the graveyard, finding both the headstones and the small church in the center well-tended. It was obvious someone loved this place, and made sure it was well taken care of. As we walked along the rows, I felt comfortable and safe, but began to notice Patrice seemed troubled. I didn't think much of it, being too engrossed in checking out the rows upon rows of headstones, and before too long we went home. A couple days later, when he was over to watch a movie, he brought up the graveyard again, specifically one of the graves. He said that on our walk, he had noticed the grave of a young girl who had passed away not long before at the age of five. Patrice is a big guy, a football player, and I was surprised that something like a grave could get to him, but it had. After that night, we didn't speak of it again, and it didn't even cross my mind until three days ago. The night before had been a late one. For some reason, sleep just wouldn't come, so I woke up midday and after basking in the sweet freedom of having my own apartment all to myself, got up to tend to my chores. I cleaned that place top to bottom, cleaner than it was when I moved in. And so you can imagine my surprise when I came home around 9pm to find a puddle of water in the living room. There was no obvious source, the ceiling was dry, all the windows closed, and it hadn't rained all day, so I had no idea where it had come from, but tried to tell myself it was just a missed spot from earlier. Still though, the whole thing had me unsettled, and I could feel another sleepless night coming. If only I'd known. My front door has two locks and once I've decided to stay in for the night, both get locked right away. It was a habit my dad drilled into me when I started staying home alone without my parents, and it paid off that night, when, at 2am, I heard something playing with my door. I had already been wide awake in bed, but now my entire body was on fire with adrenaline. From where I lay, I could see the doorknob jiggling, turning ever so slightly at first, then becoming more aggressive. Whoever was out there wanted in. The door began to shake in its frame, and despite the August heat outside, I suddenly felt ice cold. The door shook one final time, hard enough I started to worry about whether or not it was going to hold, then stopped. The doorknob rotated back to its original position, and for a moment there was silence. 
The fear that had gripped me loosened enough for me to get to my feet and creep toward the door. The closer I got, the more I could make out quiet crying and mumbling from the other side, and the harder it got to walk. This is difficult to explain, but it was as if my body just didn't want to go in that direction. Before I could contemplate what this meant, a voice rose from the other side of the door. A young girl. She said only one thing, softly. Mommy, please let me in. I'm scared in the dark. That was it. 2 a.m. or not, I grabbed my cell phone and called my boyfriend. What the hell's the point of having a boyfriend if you can't call him at 2 a.m. when ghosts turn up at your door? My phone was on mute, so dialing didn't make any noise, but the moment I called him, the crying stopped. That night, I didn't sleep at all, and work the next day was hell. Since then, I've managed some sleep, but my dreams are violent and disturbing. A common theme is injury to my eyes, and sometimes they're so bad I wake up nauseous. I have no idea what's happening to me, or why. Did something decide to follow them home? But she didn't seem to have that kind of reaction to to the graveyard, whereas her partner did. But I wonder, you know, if it's kind of situation where the the person is in the moment, mm. not very sensitive to these things. Yeah. So, you know, he, he caught it, he picked up on it more because he's a little more tuned in, but at the same time, she's not. Mm. However, when, when the actual, when the hammer comes down and it's, you know, it's two in the morning, you know, it, it can exert an influence more easily. Yeah. I mean, I, either that or the neighborhood kids were just fucking with her to do it. <laughs> yeah. I think there's something quite unnerving about a doorknob moving at the early hours of the morning, regardless of the scenario, I think. Oh, absolutely. Doorknobs, no, no, no. Unless, unless they are in your hand, they should not be moving. Because that <laughs> means there's, there's someone outside who wants in, and that is very bad. <laughs> yeah, so the lesson is, always lock your door. You always lock your door. The second you get home, lock your goddamn door. <laughs> Security tips here at the Ghost Story, guys. The Swaying Man My ex-girlfriend and I were bad together for a lot of reasons, but we had some fun together. On some weekends we would get dressed up to the nines, drive a couple of towns, and crash weddings. God, we raised some hell. But this isn't one of those stories. This story happened on one of the nights we went graving. Graving was more or less what it sounded like. On summer nights, we'd pick a cemetery, there are a lot in Washington State, wait until 11 or so, then sneak in and fool around. The night this story takes place, we had picked a new place to explore, a largest cemetery by the highway maybe an hour away. We parked my Chevelle near a side gate, behind a copse of trees and snuck in through the unlocked gate. The side we started on was the veteran side, where the headstones were well loved and decorated with the flags, flowers and the odd pinwheel. As we made our way along the rows, I became aware of how quiet it was. There was no wind, no bugs, no birds, and it made me uneasy. Then, in the distance, I saw him. Maybe 200 feet ahead of me, next to a large tree, was what appeared to be a wide, white figure dancing. I blinked, and the figure was still there, swaying, and for a moment I thought it was a homeless man or some hippie. Then I realised he had white shackles hanging from his wrists. The white robe he wore was swirling through the air, and I could see right through him. Whoever this man was, he was translucent. 
and in a graveyard at night, there's no getting away from what that means. As quietly as possible, I got my girlfriend's attention, and whispering, explained what I was looking at. She saw the man too, but was somehow less upset about it than I was. She actually said out loud, What's he going to do? Haunt us? Mistake. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't encourage this situation. Nope. The swaying man seemed to hear that. Yeah, you're right. And suddenly, he was no longer swaying, but running full bore towards us. I never got to see what his face looked like, because we both ran as fast as we could for the gate. By the time we got back to my car, my lungs were on fire and my girlfriend could barely stand. Looking back through the gate, I could just see the tree we had run from, and next to it was the swaying man, dancing as though nothing had happened. I'm going to say it right now. This woman is the kind of person who starts bar fights and then says to their boyfriend shit like, you're not going to let him talk to me like that, are you? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean... At what point in this kind of situation do you think the best thing to do is throw petrol on this? <laughs> well, you know, if we don't see how bad it could get, we'll never know what we managed to avoid. <laughs> we'll never we'll never be able to tell people just how close to dying we were. That's it. It's it's all for the story, as people seem to be fond of saying these days. Yeah, that's not the kind of thing I used to get up in graveyards, I'll tell you that. Well, I, you know, I did wonder when it said fooling around, I thought, what is what is happening? right now are you because there's there's that book midnight in the garden of good and evil there's a scene in that book where two people are getting it on in a graveyard and trying to avoid being seen and i thought well that is a ballsy move Mm. i mean i guess it's quiet but i don't know man doesn't feel right somehow but i guess because i've lived mate i guess not i guess not (laughs) I've got King Degenerate Paul Bestel here to guide me through. <laughs> the Paul Bestel, the Paul Bestel guide to graveyard banging. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to enjoy being very. <laughs> I used to enjoy taking a lot of risks in my youth. <laughs> As I'm learning, there's so much I don't know about you, Paul. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot to unpick. Stay tuned, listeners, as we we unravel (laughs) the layers of Paul Bestel and learn some things that may still be felonies in certain countries. (laughs) Yeah, primarily due to me. (laughs) Yeah, your picture's on a lot of border border crossings. Like, nope, not this guy. Yeah, yeah. I know know all about Interpol. I bet you do. (laughs) Is that what you call what happened in those graveyards? No comment. Wise. We'll be right back. Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, 
there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now, because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be, it's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the number to call is 1-800-273-8255. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123 or text SHOUT, that's S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, please know that we've both been where you are and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. Thanks, of course, to the rest of the team, Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent for their work on this and every episode. You guys helped me out more than I can possibly say, and I I couldn't generally, genuinely couldn't do it without you. And um, I'd also like to thank Wanda Fraser, who has been working with us since, uh, I want to say since last year, on our weekly dark art projects, which get posted over on our Instagram at The Ghost Story Guys. And Wanda has also been working with me to launch our TikTok account, which is a terrifying thought. Go ahead and find us on TikTok at Ghost Story Guys. Big thanks too to you, Paul, for keeping me company on these shows. You make the process a hell of a lot easier, uh, a hell of a lot more comfortable, and you bring so much freaking knowledge, it is sometimes embarrassing. So, <laughs> Thank you for having me again. It's always a pleasure, my friend, and I'm always glad to uh, inadvertently cause a panic attack. <laughs> yeah, it's a gift it's a gift <laughs> it's, it's, it's just magic where can everybody find you online okay you can find us by searching for mysteries and monsters on all podcast aggregators we've also finally launched our lovely little website which is mysteriesandmonsters.com um, where you can catch up with the latest episodes and there'll be more content going on there as we go um, and we're across all social media platforms under mysteries and monsters as well Lovely. Make sure to check out Mysteries and Monsters. It's a great show. Uh, Paul is an extraordinarily knowledgeable interviewer, and if you want to learn more about the paranormal, you won't find a better place. Thanks, Paul. You're welcome. See you soon. Now it's time to thank our patrons. This one's for the patrons. Patrons, you are the ones who make this all possible, and I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it. So, this time around, I'd like to thank... Damien Addis. Zoom. Now, this is either Zumtod or Zumtot. Uh, I'm not sure which, but whichever it is, thank you very much. Laura Pongratz, Jesse Holtzman, and Tyus Fernandez Mihalovitz. 
thank you so, so much, guys. Again, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And I, I really do want to thank everyone who has supported the show, both financially and just by listening, because both are equally important. They're both very meaningful, and, and I appreciate them a great deal. I wasn't going to talk about this on the show. I wasn't going to bring this up. But in the month, yeah, a little over a month, since Ian has no longer been a part of the show, it's been nerve-wracking. It's, it's, it's been an upsetting time. And I've tried my best to make the show as smooth as possible and not kind of not, not show it, but I've been encouraged by people who listen to the show, who know to bring it up. You know, and so I'm going to, I want to do that, but in the context of thanking people, because you know, one of the reasons I had, hadn't brought it up prior to this is the changeover was my decision ultimately. And I don't regret it. Not in the slightest. It had to happen for anyone who really wants to drill down on the why. Head on over to our website, ghoststoryguys.com. There's a link to the free Patreon post there. You might have to scroll a bit to find it, but it is there. And that gives some background on what went down. But uh, again, it was ultimately my choice. And for me to then express any kind of reservation kind of felt like whining. But again, I was told that is that is dumb and, and you should just bring it up and mention it. So yeah, it, it's been a very uncertain time. And Paul has been wonderful. You know, I couldn't ask for... Uh, a better guest host, and and honestly, Luke, Anthony, and Sarah have been wonderful supports as well. But making the decision I did was uh, was risky, because the show is my livelihood, and I spend a lot of time on the show. You know, it is very much my baby. So yeah, making that decision and knowing it could just all go away was was very nerve wracking, and it it still is. You know, it, things have gone pretty well all things considered. You know, I've had some folks uh, give me shit for it, but way more have been very kind about the whole thing. And of course, you know, people have to get used to the new situation, the new vibe. And I, I understand that completely. I have to get used to the new situation and the new vibe. You know, again, Paul is a, is a brilliant co-host, but I, I did this for four years with Ian. So it's, it's an adjustment for a lot of reasons. And I'm very happy with where we're at. And I, I really think we're going to go somewhere special. And so I just wanted to thank everyone who has stuck with us and, and it, it really is us. It's Luke, Sarah, Anthony, me, Wanda, Paul, and all our upcoming guest hosts. You, you stuck with us and you put your faith in us. And that means, oh man, I can't even tell you what that means. It's, it's a wonderful gift that I, I just appreciate more and more every day. And so thank you very, very much. And we are all so grateful to have you folks along with us for the ride. In that vein, I know I've been saying that mini shows would be coming back in February, uh, but mini shows are really dependent on correspondence. That was sort of a, there was a point where we were getting so much correspondence that we just couldn't respond to everything individually. And so we wanted to uh, address emails on air. And uh, that was something I pushed for. And of course, since the changeover, email has dropped off considerably. And again, I understand why that is. I mean, one, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Two, lots going on. And three, I'm sure there's a lot of uncertainty about writing to the show. So the mini shows are probably going to continue on hiatus for the time being, again, just because there's not enough correspondence. But when that time comes and that correspondence picks back up, you can bet that there's going to be mini shows. You got my word on that. If you do want to get in touch, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is a way to do it. We're also on Instagram as The Ghost Story Guys and on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok as Ghost Story Guys. Feel free to send all the DMs you want, but if you do have a story to tell, please make sure you send it to the email. Again, that's ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. 
And if you've got a story to tell or a comment for the show, but you don't want to type, you can always call the ghost line. There's something strange in your neighborhood. We're going to call ghost line. Call one triple eight five eight eight six nine two oh. Thanks to our listener Amber Pease for her ghost line jingle. Again, the number is one 588 6920 That's 1-888-588-6920. That number is toll-free in North America. If you live outside of North America and you still want, want to send a story or comment via the ghost line, all you got to do is record it using the voice memo app on your phone and email it to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com with the subject heading ghost line. And if you don't feel like calling, you can always text 925-553-4789. I see everything that comes in uh, via, be it DM or email or text or call. And again, when the mini shows start back up, we will be sharing all those things over there. And I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that. If you can leave a five-star review on iTunes or wherever else you can uh, rev- review podcasts, helps get more eyes on the show and increase our visibility. If you want to pick up some Ghost Story Guys merch, head on over to our website at ghoststoryguys.com and follow the links to our TeePublic, Redbubble, and Big Cartel stores. From there, you can find uh, any number of cool things. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter of Pizzanta Music. You can find more from him by searching for Pizzanta Music wherever you get your tunes. Make sure to check out his newest album, 1989, which dropped, I believe, last month, and is available, again, everywhere you get your music. Our story's theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. Find more from them by searching for Hexagram wherever you stream your music. Again, that's Hexagram with two X's, not three. All other music and sound effects on this podcast are provided by Epidemic Sound. If you're looking for podsafe music or sound effects for your next project, head on over to epidemicsound.com to check them out. I guess that's going to do it. Thank you so much for your continued support, folks. Again, I, I can't tell you what it means to me. We'll be back in two weeks with another show. And until then, into the darkness we go. Gremlins could have stolen my dick right out of my pants. <laughs> okay. It's nice to know I've got that effect on you. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's the, uh, the raw male energy that you get. <laughs> Machismo. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you understand. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's what you're right. That's what I needed. Yeah. Thank you, over-relationship doctor. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> No, I'm really curious about this. Do you think there's anything to disclose? Do you think they know much more than they've let on? Because um, I, I tend to think of disclosure people as, you know, they're waiting for the government to say, yep, yep, Men in Black is a documentary. Um, <laughs> again, you would know better than I would, but I think there are people out there who want a craft or who, again, they, they want to know that, you know, Zorlax from Fibonacci 3 is like down here probing cows or whatever. Yeah. Stealing do their the, buttholes. Yeah, do the big press conference and they're going, and now our special guest. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I come in peace, just kidding. <laughs>
<laughs> Humans love that line. <laughs> or, or, or that. Or that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. I don't so, suppose um, we should expect aliens to be all that different from us. I'm going to start my TikTok influencer. Uh, <laughs> Get those cheekbones highlighted, baby. That's right. I'm going to work it. <laughs> you laugh now, but when I'm on the runway in Paris, you're going to look stupid. I might have told you this before, but her last long-term boyfriend uh, before her and I met, he was from Sheffield. Mm. And so she spent a lot of time going back and forth from uh, from Bristol to Sheffield. Mm. And uh, I remember <laughs> I said to her, his name wasn't fucking Paul, was it? <laughs> <laughs> what all this confirms for me is that when I finally get over there, you're showing me around these places because clearly I did not have the proper appreciation for them. I'm just some fucking Yoko from Revelstoke going like, well, this is kind of shitty. <laughs> There's not a single boob and... <laughs> I don't see cheeseburgers anywhere, so this sucks. All right, hang on. I'm making notes for when the power goes out. 5% cocaine. Be, must grow mustache. <laughs> when someone who deserves having their ass kicked gets their ass kicked, it's literally chicken soup for the soul. Mm. It's just a wonderful thing. Yeah, you can warm your hands on that fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know, the monkey, they do the disappearing coin trick or whatever, and he just loses his shit. I'm like that, but just for life in general. Like, oh, yeah. how long has that been like that? Five years? Okay. <laughs> I've solved the case. <laughs> <laughs>